Hey, good morning, church. Um, Psalm 118. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us be filled with joy. Let, us, let our hearts be overflowing with joy. When I um, think of images of joy, these are the things that come to my mind. A father on his daughter's wedding day, walking his baby girl, all grown up, down to the love of her life to be married. Heart filled with joy. The birth of my kids, birth of grandkids, heart filled with joy. Um, unexpected homecoming. Two weeks ago, um, I'm one of six kids, my brothers and sisters, we rallied together and surprised my mom and dad uh, for Father's Day weekend. And it was just a great surprise. There, with spouses and kids and grandkids, there was 20 of us that descended on my mom and dad and surprised them. Uh, we, we, did it, we did it in staggered approach where we would have given my mom a heart attack. But, but, but the Thursday night that, that we got there, my mom kept grabbing my face and saying, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you're here. With tears of joy, I can't believe you're here. Um, images of joy. Um, if you guys are, are golfers at all or follow golf at all, last, um, last Sunday afternoon, Jordan Spieth, uh, he was PGA golf tournament um, sudden death over, over uh, sudden death, um, it was tied at the end of regulation. He had the sudden death hold. He chipped it, or he, his approach shot onto the green was into the sand trap. He's about, I don't know, um, 80 feet from the hole, and he chips it in um, from the sand trap. He throws his golf club, body checks his, his caddy, um, jumped for joy, a picture of pure joy. But the one I want to leave you with, this is a holy one. Yesterday, I was driving around doing errands, and there was this this dog, this big dog, in a yellow convertible Corvette with the top down. The, the, do the dog was not driving. The dog was in the passenger seat. But the dog's got his head above the windshield and is just living, you know, living large with his head above the windshield. Pure, pure joy, pure joy. Um, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. But I want to fuss with this word joy today, and I'm going to go into the James text. And James approaches it a little bit differently, and here's the text. Consider it, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever we face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Consider it pure joy. Writing this sermon this week was not a joy for me. It was just one of those ones that came slowly, and I, I was cranky writing it, and I kept getting interrupted, or honestly, I kept allowing myself to be interrupted because we, this was hard for some reason for me to write this one. It was hard, and I wanted to be done. It was not done. It was not even close. Maybe I needed to be re-reminded of what pure joy, God's joy, is all about and how I reflect that and how I bear that image. In the big scheme of things, struggling with writing a sermon is a real small trial. Breaking an ankle three days before your wedding, that's, uh, that's me with a broken ankle three days before my, well, that was the wedding day. Uh, I shared that story a couple weeks back. That was a true story. In the big scheme of things, breaking your ankle three days before your wedding, small, small potatoes. Uh, kid stuff, stuff we can laugh about now. But collectively, in this community, we have been through some real stuff, a bunch of trials. Some of you right now are going through some pretty big stuff. We could write a book. Some of you have written a book. Couldn't we? It's only in the rearview mirror, maybe, that we can consider any of the stuff we have been through pure joy. 
the trials we have faced only in the rearview mirror are we able to connect the dots and see maybe how God has used the trials that life has thrown us to form us and shape us and mature us. Sometimes this side of heaven, it makes no sense, and we just have to trust that it is so. James, James is writing to us from a position of trust. He knows the trials shape us and mature us and complete us because he has been shaped and matured and completed because of his own trials. He's trying to bless the 12 tribes of Israel here that are scattered among the nations. He's using the trials of his own life to bless folks, to encourage them, to remind them they are not alone. That's the only way I believe we can even think about our trials as pure joy. Story number one, um, mom's got cancer, and this is not my, my mom. This is a story. Uh, Cindy and I met this woman a week ago Saturday. A week ago Saturday, we went to see um, Kenny Loggins and Christopher Cross and Peter Cetera at Fiddler's Green, outdoor concert in Lone Tree, and it was just a beautiful night. We were there early, uh, and, and these guys were a bunch of older guys singing hit songs from the 70s and early 80s. It was a, it was a great concert, but we got there early, and we're, we're walking around um, outside. We see, this, um, we see this booth and a sign that said, lovehopestrength.org. And there's folks with clipboards coming up to people, um, survey-type folks, uh, survey-type folks that if you make eye contact with them, they'll, they'll come right in and zero in on you. And folks are avoiding them like the plague. Um, Cindy um, went to the restroom, and this woman, her name was Holly, I later learned, was trying to get folks' attention. And most folks were ignoring her or telling her they weren't interested, polite and all, but they didn't want to hear Holly's spiel. Me either, at first. But the words on their sign, love, hope, strength.org, got my attention. And I went up to Holly and introduced myself and asked her what they were all about. Love, Hope, Strength tries to find matches for folks who need blood marrow. They're looking for donors. I asked her, you know, why a concert venue? She begins to tell me that there's some band guy that had a connection with someone that, that they had lost, and he became sort of the driver behind it and believed that this was a great place to ask for folks um, who wanted to donate blood marrow. Then I asked her, Holly, why, why do you do it? She said, I lost my mom to a type of blood cancer 18 months ago. They discovered it too late. They, they couldn't help my mom. But if I can save one person, if I can save one mom or dad or one child from going through what my mom went through because of a blood marrow match, that would be pure joy. Words that changed Holly's life. Mom's got cancer. Now she volunteers a concert at, at concerts at Fiddler's Green, hoping and praying that someone will, be, will have the courage and be brave enough to be a bone marrow donor. And someone who's battling cancer, struggling to live, will hear these words, it's a match, it's a match. We found a donor. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know, you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Story number two, we messed up. Um, uh, this is back in my engineering days. I got a phone call early in the morning um, from our, my secretary. said, Joe, um, Scott Merritt from ExxonMobil on the line for you. Um, said, hey, Scott. He said, hey, Joe, where are you? I said, I'm, I'm back in Denver. I came, came back from Denver um, last night. And he asked me, Scott said, who's up here? And up here is in the northwest part of Colorado. It's, a, uh, it's an oil and gas field between Meeker and Rifle. Um, ExxonMobil's got a big play up there. 
And he said, Joe, who's up here? And I told him who's up there. And he said, Joe, I think, think you need to get back up here today. Um, one of your guys messed up. They hit a gas line. Um, one thing our company did, did for ExxonMobil, anytime there was excavation work, we would map out their underground um, gas lines, locate them on the surface with paint or, or flags um, to make sure no one hit these buried lines, um, make sure we didn't damage their property or worse, somebody got hurt. This was my nightmare of a phone call. And I said, Scott, was anybody hurt? He said, no. I said, was there a release? Was there fluids or gas or condensate release? And he said, no. But Joe, there's a bunch of ExxonMobil execs out this week, and they're evaluating our safety procedures. They're meeting in the conference room this afternoon. They want to know what happened. Come up here. You need to defend yourself. I said, Scott, I'll be there. Um, consider it from James. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. This happened at least five years ago. My stomach still hurts thinking about it, uh, thinking about that phone call that day and then the four-hour drive back up to Peance Creek for that meeting that I didn't want to have any part of because we messed up. Consider it pure joy. Just want to focus on that James text for just a second. Um, consider it. James is telling us to look at it, the trials, from different angles. Ponder it. Stop for a second and seriously look at something Maybe more importantly, think about thinking about something more differently from a different perspective, from a different angle than you ever have before. Consider it pure joy, pure, unfiltered, not tainted, the real thing, pure, simple, innocent, no additives or preservatives, not watered down, fresh, strong, clean, joy. Just want to um, distinguish here, there's a difference between joy and happiness. And James is not talking about happiness here. But I know I'm a lot happier when the Rockies are winning, and I pray that the Rockies will start to win again. Um, I know I'm a lot happier on a Monday morning when the Broncos have won. Um, but I'm thinking the James, the joy that James is talking about is not based on circumstances or a feeling or how well the Rockies or Broncos are playing. I believe the joy that he's talking about is a rock-solid belief that God's in the midst of it all. Joy is the difference, I believe, between happiness and wholeness. That the fear and anxiety that creeps into our lives is trumped every time by faith and hope and trust in Christ. St. Paul to the Philippians, he fleshes it out in a somewhat different way. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Our joy is not in our circumstances. It is something much bigger than what we're going through right at the time. It is in Christ. I think I learned this from Awana or from Vacation Bible School. Um, the acronym JOY can be Jesus, others, and yourself. Um, we've got to get our head to, to, to be joy-filled. We have to get our head and our hearts around this Jesus. And then we have to treat others like we want to be treated. We have to treat others like we want to be loved. If you want to be a joy giver instead of a joy taker, you need to think about others first. The gift of speaking blessing or grace into someone's life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord when? Only when things are going well. Only when you're at the top of your game and your favorite team wins. St. Paul challenges us to rejoice in the Lord always, always. Even when the trials come and they are big and heavy and you think there's no way around this one, no way. Cancer, forced separation, tragedy, sickness, loss of health. 
brain that no longer works quite right and forgets simple stuff like how to button a shirt or where the bathroom is. Pain from a long ago relationship that you can't seem to break free from. Or PTSD from a war that was fought a lifetime ago. God's word is not saying rejoice in the circumstances because some of those, most of those bring, bring us to our knees. But God's word is commanding us to rejoice in the Lord. Our joy, real joy, comes from our relationship with the Lord with God the Father, with his Son Jesus, and the gift that God gave us on Pentecost Sunday, God's Holy Spirit, fruit of the Holy Spirit, this joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. You want to be a joy giver, a life giver? Extend to someone around you some gentleness. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Share gentleness with all. Speak gentleness and blessing into someone's life. When St. Paul is talking gentleness here, it's not in a flowery, girly man kind of way, but in a tender-hearted warrior type of way. It's stepping up and into whatever circumstances God sends your way. Story number three, I will help. Back in 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit the Gulf Coast. We all remember what that, that storm looked like. It's back in 2005. Um, in November of that year, we went down to... Uh, Mississippi with a bunch of church folks to help as we could. And we were blown away, blown away by how much destruction there was and how much help folks needed. We jumped in where we could. We hooked up with this one guy who had a tiny um, pickup truck, and um, we were moving furniture from a warehouse to a camp. And it really was just tents on platform or a plywood platform. Um, everyone down there had a story. They had a story where they had been in the storm and how they had survived. And this guy had his own story. Um, we would, uh, in the midst of going and picking up, going to this warehouse and loading his little pickup truck to the gills with, with furniture, and then we would deliver chairs and tables to this tent. We would load it up in the back, and then we would hold on to the stuff in the back, and we would hold on for our dear lives in the back as he took us to the camp. But he told us this story. This is where he was. This is how this story unfolded for him. Back in 1969, Hurricane Camille came in and wiped out a large part of the, the coast. He lost everything, Hurricane Camille, just wiped out his house. Slowly over the years, he finally rebuilt it back to where it was. And then in 2005, Hurricane Katrina comes and wipes out his house again. His house was just demolished. It was just a bundle of sticks. And he shares this story with us. The storm has passed. It's the day or two after the storm. He's sitting on what's left of his house. It's just the concrete porch, the stoop in front of his house. The rest of his house is in rubble um, behind him. And he's just shaking his head. I, I can't do this again. Can't do this again. Can't do this again. And his neighbor, the neighbor who did not lose everything in the storm, comes up to him and says, um, where do we start? And the guy who's sitting on the porch, he just shakes his head and looks at the pile of rubble and says, no, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do it anymore, but his friend says, no, you're not done. I will help. Let's go. Let's get started. And this guy who was ready to give up, ready to throw in the towel, he rallies with the help of his friend. And we meet him a few months later. The storm happened in the first part of September. This is the end of November. And he's now the one helping the next guy, using his truck to deliver furniture and grace and a helping hand and gentleness to his neighbors that lost him. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. We can rejoice in the Lord because he is right here with us.
We can extend gentleness and grace and blessing to those that come in our path because the Lord is near. Faith and hope and trust trump anxiety and fear and even death every time. We messed up, part two. That earlier story I shared when our engineering company had messed up and we mislocated some gas lines for ExxonMobil, and I was called on the carpet to explain what happened. We went up to Piance Creek with one of my partners and good friend, Bill Brown. Um, Bill's on the right. He's the worker. I'm the guy that cleaned up. Um, I don't know if you guys know the story about um, the, the chicken and the pig. The farmer comes out and says, I'm going to have bacon and eggs tomorrow. Um, and the pig says to the chicken, um, you, you're, you're involved, but I'm committed. In this picture, Bill, my buddy, <laughs> Bill, my, well, I, I am involved, but he is committed. Um, but this is a dear friend of mine. We've worked together. I've known each other since 1992, and um, he is truly a brother uh, in Christ. And we've been working, again, um, together since 1992. And we're going up, as we're driving up there to Piance, we're just thinking the worst that we, um, we're thinking the worst. Our little company had some 10 guys working full-time on this ExxonMobil project, and this was big for us. And we thought for sure by the end of the day, we were going to be fired. We would be let go. We'd say, we'd be said, hey, thanks, but see ya. Um, we get up to, the, um, to the, where the, the, the meeting's going to be held, the parking lot. Uh, and we're in my pickup truck, and I, I said to Bill, let's just pray. And I forget exactly about what we prayed, but it was something like, okay, Lord, we did mess up. Lord, just be with us in this meeting. Lord, your will be done, not ours. Um, and our guy had, had messed up. He had read, misread the address on this locate ticket and missed the location where we were supposed to locate their buried lines, not by just a little bit, by, by a quarter of a mile. He turned in one road too soon. We messed up, and we messed up big. Consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. As we're walking into the office complex, um, the gal at the front desk, I've known her and her husband for years, and she just shakes her head and says how sorry she is because she knows what we're stepping into. And we, they escort us into the conference room, and a bunch of um, mean-looking men, surround, 30, 30 of them, very, very official type. We walk in, and there's dead silence. We sit. There's two chairs next to my, my buddy Scott who gave us the heads up that this was happening. Um, there's two seats next to him. We sit down. My buddy Scott says, Hey, these are the guys from KRW. They're the ones who um, locate the underground utilities for us out here. Um, let me share from my perspective what happened, and then they'll, they'll share. Scott says they were digging on Love Ranch 6 and, uh, with the track hoe, and they, they, hit, they hit a six-inch live gas, natural gas line. There was, um, nobody was hurt. Uh, There's no serious damage to the line, but, but we struck it. Um, and now Joe will tell you what happened. And you know, you just get that pit in your stomach. I, um, and I, I just said, guys, um, it's our responsibility to mark the lines correctly. And we messed up. We messed up in a big way. We, our guy um, misinterpreted the, the directions on the locate ticket, and we marked the location uh, one, one dirt road early, one driveway early. Um, we messed up. No excuses. Um, it was like a confessional. My Catholic roots were coming out. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Um, but one of, one of the men, uh, he was the drilling superintendent for Peanuts. He, after, like it, like, it seemed like minutes of silence after I did my thing, and we're just waiting for, okay, we're going to get nailed here. Um, 
It was only probably seconds, but this man, he steps up and he says, um, he tries to sum up my words by saying, so your guy missed it by one driveway, by one dirt road. He turned in too soon. These directions they put on these locate tickets, they're horrible. That could have happened to anybody. Changes the focus from me to the large group. And then he says, we need to put better checks in place on how to do this. This isn't their bad. This is our bad. This is on us. The meeting wraps up, and guys are coming to us after the meeting asking us, how can we do this better, and would you guys help put a protocol together that will help us prevent doing this again? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. We'll do I'll start it right now. We'll, we'll do it. <laughs> and I get back in the truck with my buddy, and we're just shaking our heads, and we're saying, what just happened? We, by, that, by that gentleman, by that, how he summed it up, he just said, well, he extended to us gentleness. He gave us grace and kindness, words that we did not deserve. We messed up, and he extended grace to us. And we said a prayer of thanks. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We rejoiced in the Lord right there in the truck. What is pure joy? What is pure joy for us? In part, it is when grace and gentleness, undeserved love and care are extended to us. It's when we get this being human thing close to being right. This grace and gentleness is modeled most perfectly by Jesus, becoming human for us, being a living example for us of how we should do it, going to the cross for us yet while we were still sinners. He saved us. We didn't earn it. We just have to accept it. And more than anything, we have to trust it is so. The promise from the cross, it is finished. Jesus' love for us made complete. His joy made complete through the cross. What is pure joy? What is pure joy for us this side of heaven that can help us endure the trials and stuff that come our way? It's embracing and trusting and holding on to, with white knuckles, the words that were spoken to those women who went to the tomb that first Easter morning. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen. And the women ran from the tomb, the text says, afraid yet filled with joy. Afraid yet filled with joy. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. What is pure joy? It is a celebration of the heart. It is a heart-to-heart connection with God and with each other. It's loving on each other, extending grace and kindness and love to each other. How do we bring this all home? How do we reflect some of this pure joy in our lives And if you've never made a commitment to Christ, I want to say you're one prayer away from experiencing some of this joy. One prayer away. How do we live this joy out as a church family? How do we remind folks who are knee-deep in the midst of struggle and trials, how do we hold them up and remind them, even if they don't believe it, that they're going to be okay? How do we do it? I believe as a church family we are on our way. I believe our church community is on the verge of a major revival, and revival is a churchy word for bringing someone something back to life. I see it already happening. New life is springing up, bringing with it pure joy as we remember to point folks to God and to Christ. This revival, I can feel it. It is not fluff. It is real. I see it in how folks are stepping up and caring for each other, loving on each other through some of the stuff cancer battles and surgeries and sickness. Folks are praying for each other. Folks are being vulnerable, asking for prayer and support. I see it in the men of this church. They're rallying together, a whole bunch of us coming back, coming together on a Saturday morning, first part of June, to be reminded that our lives matter. Women of the church, 
who always seem to have their acts together much more than us men, giving the men's ministry seed money to, to help us get our acts together. We need, we need the help. We saw, a bunch of us saw, uh, here at church saw the movie um, The Shack on, on Friday, and there's a line in there when God says, men are idiots, uh, and the guy says, you're, you're calling me an idiot? He says, if the shoe fits, if the shoe fits, wear it. Yes, sometimes we're idiots. I saw revival here the week of Vacation Bible School when this place was transformed into a kid's place, and there's some 150 kids and an army of supporters around Debbie Donay and Megan and Heather and Carrie saw them bring real joy and hope to some kids that needed it more than we'll ever know. I see it in the new folks that God is sending to this church community, folks that are stepping up and jumping in, leader types, gifted people, willing to be a part, willing to care and share, bringing their unique gifts to this place and helping us be a church that is on fire, helping us be a church that is filled with joy. I see it. I saw it a week ago Saturday when we celebrated Ellie Cox's memorial service. Both sides of heaven we celebrated with Ellie Cox. And the folks who came to love, on and support and encourage the Cox family. In the midst of tears, I saw laughter and joy. I see revival every Sunday. When I come in here an hour before church, there are 15, 20 cars here helping us get ready, setting up. The choir rehearsing, the praise team, the worship team, getting their stuff together. Sound guys get in the back making sure the video stuff and the... And the audio stuff works, musicians and custodians and elders and deacons, an army of folks to put church together every Sunday morning. Church, when we do it close to being right, is pure joy. And again, pure joy is that celebration of the heart. And I believe with all my heart that we are going to, if we're going to be a joy-filled people, I believe if we're going to be a joy-filled church, it will be based on how we care for each other, how we love each other, how we help each other through the stuff, the trials of many kinds, how we bless each other and encourage each other along the, the journey, reminding folks that we're not alone, reminding folks when they forget that God's got this, he is risen, he is risen indeed. We need to celebrate that. We need to keep celebrating that until, the, until God calls us home. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice, be glad in it. Um, the concert we went to a week ago Saturday, one of the songs, Kenny Loggins' songs, was celebrate us home. Celebrate me home. Please celebrate me home. Please celebrate us home. You guys remember the, the prodigal son story that Jesus shared? Um, the prodigal son had gone out on his own and just messed up royally. And he's practicing his words. Um, he realizes finally that he's messed up royally. And he's saying, you know, I got to go back and tell dad I'm sorry. I got to tell God that I'm sorry. I pray I do this song close to being right. It is an old John Denver song a million years ago. Prodigal son, he'd been away a while, and he was working his way back home after many a ragged mile. When he finally crossed the river, and his father saw him near. There was a joyful sound for all the world to hear. We are all prodigals, aren't we? They're all prodigals. My prayer for us today, my prayer for us today is that we come back to this God. Every, prayer, every day when I wake up in the morning, I am a prodigal. I want to go left, and God's telling me to go right. 
Every day, I must be the mulligan of pastors on staff. Maybe you guys wrestle with the same thing, but I'm, I'm always wanting to go prodigal. Um, maybe some of you guys can relate to that. You know, for some folks that maybe have never accepted this Christ as the one main thing in their life, if I could just ask you guys to, to bow your heads as a church, just bow your heads with eyes closed, just pray this simple prayer. Sweet Jesus, Holy Father, Lord, I just pray that folks here that have never made a commitment to you, or Lord, they have gone prodigal on you and they need to come back. Lord, I pray in the silence of, our, of their hearts that they can say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need to come back to you. And Lord, the heavens rejoice now as we make that commitment, recommitment back to you. Lord, I pray for the folks' hearts that make that prayer, make that commitment for the first time, or recommit their lives back to you, Lord, this day. Pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Um, I believe in my heart when we approach the Heavenly Father after we've gone prodigal, the Heavenly Father takes our face in his hands and says, I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you're here. I can't believe you're here. Jesus loves you guys. And I do too. God bless you.